Welcome to Equity Is, a podcast from the School District of Philadelphia's Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. This podcast is about cultivating prosperity and liberation for students and staff. We do this by showcasing and debriefing on the great equity work that is being done throughout the School District of Philadelphia community. With each episode, we hope to cover topics that will create pathways for marginalized populations in our district by removing barriers, increasing access and inclusion, building trust, and creating a shared culture of social responsibility and organizational accountability. I am your host, Tori Potenza, the Program Manager for the Office of DEI. This is another one of our Equity Snapshot episodes in which our Equity Training Specialists educate listeners on a particular aspect of equity. Currently, we're going through oppressive thematic ideologies. These episodes dive deep into topics that highlight different forms of oppression and inequities that people of various identities experience. The aim is to educate and increase awareness of the challenges and the assets that different communities have in order for everyone to grow more aware of our society and explore a better way forward towards equity. Today, our specific episode will be discussing the gender binary and socialization of gender norms and sexual orientation. And I am joined by Dylan, one of our equity training specialists. Dylan, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Thank you for having me, Tori. My name is Dylan Van Dyne. I use he, him pronouns. I'm one of the equity training specialists here in the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion within the School District of Philadelphia. Outside of the district, I'm a group fitness instructor. I'm a volunteer with the Trevor Project. I'm a runner and I'm a cyclist. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Before we hear about you and about the overarching topic, I wanted us to have an opportunity to discuss our own identities as we're both members of the LGBTQ community. So I can kick us off. So I identify as bi and gender fluid, gender fluid, meaning that I do not identify with one particular gender. I didn't come out as bi until much later in life and only came out as gender fluid in recent months. Although I grew up in a really supportive environment with really supportive parents and a tight-knit community theater company in middle school where I had many queer friends and adults that I really looked up to. Even then, I still didn't really know too much about my own identity. Even then, I had my own misconceptions about the community and what it meant to be bi. And I did not really think I was even allowed to be a part of the community because of my dating history. So it is still a journey for me. And I constantly reflect on my ever-changing identity. But I know detaching myself from the binary was really important and freeing for me. Thank you for sharing, Tori. I personally identify as a cis gay man. And I remember before my first year of teaching, receiving the advice to be the teacher you never had. So for me growing up K through 12 in my public school, I didn't have a teacher to the best of my knowledge that was out in LGBTQ identifying. I came out in college and I was fortunate and privileged enough to be in a space where I felt safe and I felt capacity and safety and being able to come out within my identity. So for me as a high school teacher, it was important to be intentional, both in terms of visibility and my identity, as well as creating spaces where my students could feel seen, safe, and meaningfully supported. So I found an LGBTQ class at the high school I taught at, uh, where we were able to engage both from a curricular and then also community lens with LGBTQ identity exploration and education. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm excited that we have your perspective and how you've done some of this work already on your own. So 
Today, we're going to talk more in detail about the gender binary and socialization of gender norms. This is a huge topic. There are a variety of terms that we use when we talk about sexual orientation and gender identity. So it really could take up several podcasts even. But for viewers listening today, do you mind breaking down some of the terminology that folks use now? Absolutely. And I'll say, as you and I have talked about, you just mentioned, we could spend several episodes just thinking about terminology. So I'll share a brief list here. It's certainly far from comprehensive. But one of the questions that we often get in our work talking about LGBTQ identity is what does LGBTQ stand for? Uh, So it stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and the Q could stand for queer and or questioning. And then that plus, you'll often hear people say LGBTQ plus. So it's meant to create space for those that aren't represented within the five initials and knowing that LGBTQ in itself, of course, isn't comprehensive. Uh, So you might also see different usages, things like LGBTQ plus IA, certainly initials past those seven as well. Another question that we receive a lot is this Q. What's the difference between being queer and being questioning? Uh, So queer is a term that's sometimes used interchangeably with LGBTQ+. It's sometimes an umbrella term that people use to express a broad range of sexual identities, behaviors, and expression. And you'll notice that I keep saying sometimes um, because it certainly is up to the individual and how they identify. Uh, It's an identity that has recently been reclaimed and knowing the history of this word historically was used as a slur. So queer is still not a word that all folks with identities under this umbrella certainly use commonly. Uh, And then you'll hear questioning used a lot that comes up in our schools that we support, right? A lot of students might identify as questioning uh, to describe themselves. They might be in the process of exploring their sexual orientation or gender identity. Another question I've heard a lot is what it means to be cisgender or transgender. Cis meaning same is used for folks whose gender identity aligns with the sex assigned to them at birth. So for myself, I identify as cis male, meaning my current gender identity aligns with the male sex that was assigned to me at birth. Transgender is a term for folks whose gender identity is different from the sex assigned to them at birth. You might also hear other terms in conversations around gender identity, such as gender nonconforming, gender nonbinary, which are terms for folks who do not fall within this gender binary. They don't identify exclusively as male or female and whose gender identity slash expression does not fall within this traditional binary. You might also hear other terms outside of this list, of course, not a completely comprehensive list, things like gender queer uh, as well. Um, But these are just some of the other terms that we might hear in conversations around gender identity outside of cisgender and transgender. Thank you for breaking all of that down. Uh, And like you said, there's still plenty of other terminology that we could talk about. And so I think it's important for people to do their research. But keeping in mind what you just talked about, can you tell us a little bit more about the socialization of gender norms and sexual orientation? Definitely. In this specific session that we offer, we start by using the cycle of socialization tool. Um, Some of the listeners might be familiar with this tool. It's a tool from Bobby Harrow. Uh, So we start in this learning experience by thinking about the beginning. Uh, So when folks are born into the world, they're born into a world without bias. They're born into a world without preconceived notions. So part of this uh, specific oppressive thematic ideology professional learning experience is grappling with when do these things get learned? When are we taught gender roles? Uh, When are we taught different messages about sexual orientation? So in this cycle of socialization tool, one of the first moments is called the first socialization. Uh, So that's that first moment you could think about school, specifically K through five, but then of course, all the way through K through 12, uh, people's home environments, right? Where we're taught different things. 
So I share the example in this training on a personal level as someone who identifies as cis male. I remember being taught that boys don't cry. That could be one example of a message uh, that was taught both by school, both by media, both at home, and is really integrated through a lot of different areas of our society. So a central idea of this learning experience is that schools and institutions can either reinforce or disrupt patterns of inequities. So educators have the opportunity and positionality to be able to either reinforce messages like boys don't cry uh, or disrupt them. Uh, and to actually offer learning opportunities for students to engage with identity exploration and experiences in a different way. Uh, so I think in that way, it's a really exciting time to be uh, in a space where many of these conversations around gender identity and sexual orientation are on the forefront of the educational space. So part of this looks like unlearning things that we as folks in education also learned when we were young. Uh, to be engaging with students. Uh, of course, some of that looks like doing our own unlearning. I know that's unlearning that I do every day. Um, and then we as educators and people who are working in education more broadly have a variety of avenues that we can really uh, have this disruption, so to speak. So we could do this through classroom cultures. We could think about visual elements, curricula, instructional practices, uh, the language that we use, such as being more inclusive with our language, gender inclusive language, moving away from language like boys and girls, uh, using language like folks, using language like y'all. And then also by creating spaces for LGBTQ students. This might look like a GSA. The district has a wonderful partnership with Big Brothers Big Sisters that's been around for going on four years. So that GSA is an example of a space that employees within the district can create. So students feel safe and they have the opportunity to connect with other people that share similar identities as them. Thank you so much for bringing all of that up. And I'm glad you brought up the unlearning part is a really important step in this process too. So going a little deeper, when we are discussing oppressive thematic ideologies, there are a lot of misconceptions about the LGBTQ community that come up. What are these misconceptions and how can they be harmful to the community? Additionally, how do we see them resonate in the district and Philadelphia community at large? Absolutely. I'll share here. This will be a brief list, certainly not comprehensive. The list goes on and on. But as many of folks listening to this episode are aware, LGBTQ youth across the country are under attack right now in a lot of these different misconceptions that are also perpetuated through the media. Uh, and certainly in the political scene. So we see one common misconception is that sex and gender are the same thing. Uh, so sex, as I mentioned earlier, is a biological sex that's assigned at birth. Uh, so some folks could identify with the same sex. I showed the example earlier, identify as cis male. I identify with a gender identity that does align with the sex I was assigned at birth. Uh, certainly many folks do not. Uh, we have many students within our district uh, who identify as either transgender or gender fluid, uh, gender nonconforming, gender nonbinary. So it's really important, I think, for us as educational stakeholders to understand the difference between these two identities, sex and gender, certainly meaning different things. We see a lot of that in the language around policy 252 as well. And then another common misconception is that students are too young to talk about sexual orientation. We certainly have seen this across the country uh, in terms of this notion that K through five is a space where students shouldn't be talking about sexual orientation as an identity. Uh, but research definitively finds that elementary school is a time of rapid development for children. Uh, my background is in psychology, so I won't take us down a huge rabbit hole here, but we know that these years are foundational for children to understand parts of their identity, to have a development of an understanding of themselves and the world and people around them. So as such, the social environment meaning classrooms and schools, specifically here in our space in education, are critical. It's an opportunity for students to engage in identity exploration. And something I always think about here in challenge is when folks say that kids are too young to talk about sexual orientation, I think it's important to understand the difference between sex and sexual orientation. 
you hear a lot of the times in these conversations, people say, oh, well, students are too young to be hearing about sex, uh, same sex sex. And th th in that case, I think I often remind folks that elementary school teachers are not talking about sex. They're talking about love and they're talking about acceptance. So thinking about the difference between sexual orientation as an identity and the physical act of sex and reminding folks that elementary school teachers and teachers more broadly don't use adult language when talking about sexual orientation. Rather, they're implementing different tools. It could be curriculum. It could be instruction to just introduce students to models of love and acceptance that exist in this world outside of the heterosexual nuclear family. Thank you so much for bringing up some of those different misconceptions and also refocusing on what is actually happening within the classroom and teaching. So we've talked about the makeup of the community, at least some of the makeup of the community, some of the misconceptions and ideologies that come along with it. What are some actionable steps and resources that people can look to for more information? Absolutely. There are a lot of organizations that are doing really incredible work. I'm going to highlight one uh, that I volunteer with. I volunteer with the Trevor Project for the last two years. I am going to provide a trigger warning right now on the podcast because um, I'm going to talk about some of the work the Trevor Project does, which is directly related to mental health and suicide as well for LGBTQ youth. Uh, so I just want to uplift the Trevor Project. Uh, they do a lot of uh, support that looks like counseling that could be online. It could be on the phone. And they also do a lot of work in terms of just data collection and community advocacy. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, LGBTQ youth are under attack and they're also in crisis across the country right now. So the Trevor Project highlights uh, every year in a national survey some of this data. And I'll share just some really important kind of high leverage recaps of the most recent 2022 data survey. 45% of LGBTQ youth in the year 2020-21 uh, seriously attempted considering suicide, uh, including more than half of transgender and non-binary youth. Uh, we also see that 14% of LGBTQ youth attempted suicide in the past year, including nearly one in five transgender and non-binary youth. However, LGBTQ youth who found their school to be LGBTQ affirming reported lower rates of attempting suicide. So we hear these staggering statistics I want to just create some space for folks listening uh, to kind of take that in, to take a breath with me, um, and to also think about that last line, that LGBTQ youth who found their school to be LGBTQ affirming reported lower rates of attempting suicide. Uh, so I call that uh, to attention in terms of reminding us as folks in education and outside of education, uh, the unique uh, positionality and power that educational stakeholders have uh, to be affirming and to be supportive of LGBTQ youth. We also see mental health statistics that I'm sure many are aware of for LGBTQ youth are higher than they've ever been in terms of rates of anxiety and depression. 73% and 58% of LGBTQ youth respectively reported uh, experiencing symptoms of anxiety and depression in the past year. And we see only 55% of LGBTQ youth across the country identified schools as LGBTQ affirming spaces. Uh, so I'm happy to share that Montreal Duckett and his office is doing a lot of really great work within this district. There's almost 40 schools that have GSAs within the school district of Philadelphia, about half high school, about half middle school. Um, but how can we across the country and within the district here as well, create more LGBTQ affirming spaces looking like GSAs and then also more broadly, right, past GSAs uh, throughout all halls of the building. And then I'll also call attention to some of the actional steps and resources people can look to. There's really great work being done by GLSEN. Educators have a lot of different tools that they can use through GLSEN. They have different toolkits um, and different guides. Uh, and then there's a lot of different organizations uh, that I'll highlight at the end of this podcast here in Philadelphia that are doing impactful work as well. 
Thank you so much for talking about that really important intersection as well of LGBTQ communities, youth, and mental health and mental illness. So to round out our conversation on a more positive note, this episode is going to be coming out during LGBTQ History Month. So what are some ways we can recognize and celebrate the LGBTQ communities in Philadelphia? Yes, again, people are going to be tired of me saying this, but not a comprehensive list, a brief list <laughs> with the time that we have. I'll highlight some. So the LGBTQ program through Big Brothers, Big Sisters, uh, Montreal Duckett, uh, like I mentioned earlier, has done a lot of really incredible work in involving GSAs within the district. And the Big Brothers, Big Sisters partnership is something that continues to grow. So there's 40 different schools that have GSAs, and there's also a district-wide GSA as well. Uh, so for folks listening, if you work within the district and you'd like to start a GSA, please reach out to Montreal and think about what that pathway might look like for your school. Within the district, there's a lot of different offices and community centers that are doing really impactful work. So we could think about the City of Philadelphia Office of LGBT Affairs, the William White Community Center, the Attic Center, the Mazzoni Center, the list goes on and on. And one organization that does really impactful work nationwide is ACLU. There's a chapter here in Pennsylvania. Uh, that's fighting for LGBTQ rights, certainly with an important election coming up as well. And then you think about organizations like PFLAG, GLAD, Human Rights Campaign uh, that are more nationally oriented, but, but PFLAG having a chapter here in Philadelphia too. Uh, one further learning resource I want to uplift is the Teaching Tolerance Guide. There's a guide, if you just Google it, Teaching Tolerance Guide that has best practices for serving LGBTQ students. So both for folks working in education and more broadly, I found it really impactful to read through some of the resources that they provide as well. Thank you for all of those resources. I also want to make sure that I mention that these resources will be linked in the show notes to the podcast. So if people do want to listen to this and then explore some of these like web pages and different spaces, uh, I'll make sure that there are links for all of those. I also just want to add that as someone with a history background, remembering that this is LGBTQ History Month, it's really important to reflect on the history and how it relates to where we are today. So Looking at the history of a lot of LGBTQ-related legislation, especially in relation to a lot of the anti-LGBTQ legislation that's happening now, things like the Stonewall riots, those are important pieces of LGBTQ history. Researching historical figures as well, people from James Baldwin to Marsha P. Johnson to Oscar Wilde, Alan Turing, there are so many. Uh, and then talking about present day figures as well, we also have a lot of local figures in Philadelphia that are doing a lot of great work. People like Pennsylvania State Representative Brian Sims, Stephanie Haynes, the Executive Director at Philadelphia Family Pride, uh, as well as Rue Landau, Director of Law and Policy at the Philadelphia Bar Association. Um, so there are so many people, organization, businesses, history, so many things to research. Uh, so there are a lot of great uh, resources for people People that want to learn more. And then I will also mention that during LGBTQ History Month is National Coming Out Day, uh, and it is October 11th. So it's also a really great time to reflect on how we can be supportive to those who do want to come out and uh, reach out and also show that love and support that they really need at that time. So that brings us to the end for the most part. Are there any events, trainings, anything going on that you would like to speak to, Dylan? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So here within the district, uh, two that I'll highlight uh, for our district employees is Tune Up Tuesdays, you're likely familiar with. Uh, there are two different Tune Up Tuesdays being offered in the month of October, Refreshers on Policy 252, uh, that I certainly are uh, 
want to highlight and I think are going to be very helpful uh, for us all to be aware of this policy that already exists within our districts. And then coming up on October 14th, uh, there's a Hispanic LGBTQ intersectionality panel uh, that'll be airing on Facebook Live. It's also going to be available to view on the DEI office YouTube page. Uh, but I think it's a unique space and opportunity for us to really grapple with the intersection between Hispanic Latinx identity and LGBTQ identity. Of course, we could have a whole other podcast story talking about the intersection of LGBTQ gender identity and different racial communities. So I think this is a unique opportunity following Latinx Hispanic Heritage Month moving into LGBTQ History Month, thinking about the intersection uh, between those two identities. Yes, I'm very excited for all of these things coming up and especially having these focuses more on intersectionality, I think is really important too. So thank you so much for an enlightening conversation. School District of Philadelphia staff should look forward to training opportunities with Dylan and the rest of our equity training specialists. Uh, check out more episodes of Equity Snapshots and Equity Is. Uh, we will be back with more episodes of Equity Is. Um, if you have not heard our episode on Parkway Northwest's Peace Day event, uh, I think that you should definitely check that out and look forward to more snapshots coming in the next few months.